different. I typically like to uh, uh, preach expositionally, which means uh, work through the scripture itself. Uh, Today we're going to be all over the place, and for good reason. Uh, We're going to take this time together, and uh, we're going to turn it into what we call Discover Putnam class. Now, Gary typically gets to teach this class, uh, but I asked him if I could take a turn. Uh, I haven't been able to do it for 14 years now <laughs> uh, because we just have so many, we, we used to have three services and there was never a time. But back when we had an 8.30 service and 11 o'clock service, I, I had the privilege to teach this class on a monthly basis during that time. And it's been 14 years ago since I've had a chance. So if I'm a little rusty, it's okay, right? Uh, but anyway, if you're looking at your passport, don't be alarmed. There's four pages of notes for this one. Okay, I will finish it, okay? I I will. If I have to hurt myself, we're going to finish it, all right? But today we're continuing the whole idea of kingdom culture. And uh, so look at the series introduction there. Because we are a collection of many people from various places, backgrounds, and stories, we believe culture making is essential for unifying our church family around a shared vision as we carry the message of Jesus to the world. We exist to love God, connect with others, and reach the world. By creating a culture where Jesus, number one, Jesus is our lead story. Number two, scripture and prayer prime. Number three, worship is a lifestyle. And then number four, we are family, part two. Now, if you weren't able to be here last week, part one was last week. And I understand the snow terrified some of you and you just didn't think you could get out. I understand that. Uh, And then the other is that hour we lost. So, you know, I'm not so sure I was really here last week. But anyway... I definitely was. But anyway, I just want to say you can go on web, the website to see that sermon. I think it'll help fill in some gaps that you may have missing here today. So look at your outline. Once again, skip down those paragraphs and go to where it says four levels of becoming part of the family. This is what we discussed last week. Level one, membership, choosing to belong. Level two, partnership, doing my part. Level three, friendship, learning to share. Level four, kinship, Loving believers as family. Now, here's what's interesting about what I laid out last week. We find the text in Acts chapter 2. And each of these is what you find as it relates to levels 1 through 4. Membership, partnership, friendship, and kinship. All these things are clearly seen in the first first century church. And so, therefore, whether you're talking about the universal church or the local body church... These are components that need to be in the church. Now, this is this week. This is the Discover Putnam class, all right? Five things that unite us as a church family. First of all, it's our salvation. Our salvation unites us, okay? Now, it's what holds us together. It's really what brings us together. Now, think of this question. Most people live year after year with no idea of why they live or God's purpose for their lives. The most basic question we can ask anyone is this. What is the meaning? What is the true meaning of life? What's the true meaning for your life? And so many times we get so busy with life that that we forget all the important questions we should be asking ourselves. And I guarantee you that's where most of our society is. But how many of you have ever taken, just stopped for a moment and said, What is this life really supposed to be about? Surely there's got to be more than this. And you know something? The Bible tells us that there clearly is something more than this. Now, look look on your outline. There's a problem. The reason salvation is necessary, the reason many times we lose the true meaning of life is because there's a problem. Our need for salvation 
And first of all, you see this, our nature. Our nature is our own worst enemy. Our nature. And this whole idea that we are sinful. In Romans chapter 5, Paul convinces us, and I think all of us would agree, that we were born sinners. We were born sinners. No one taught us how to sin. We, we, it's funny, we, we, we came out of our mother's womb. We weren't capable of taking care of ourselves, but there was one identifying mark that was in all of us at that time, and that we were sinners. And then number two, our choice, we sin. Not only were we sinners, we chose to be sinners. Now, how do you know you, were cho- you chose to be a sinner? Because you sin. I've seen some of you do it. And you do it very well. No, I'm just kidding. But, but the thing is, that's where we are. We're, we're, it's our nature. It's our choice. But thirdly, it's our condition. The reason we have a problem is our condition. If, it, if you think about it, it really comes down to the fact that before we come to Christ, we are lost. We have no meaning. There's no meaning to our lives. There's no purpose. We're just kind of going through the motions of life and going here and going there. But the most important questions are not answered in our lives. But guess what? There's a provision for the problem. Look on your outline. The provision, God's solution for our need is, and here it is in a nutshell, and then we'll look at it further. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now think about that. That's all you need right there. The way, that's your purpose, that's your meaning, the truth, something to build your life upon, life. How to have fulfillment in life. And then he says this, And by the way, let me just fill you in on this. And no one comes to the Father who is in heaven except by me. I mean, he was very clear about that. And he basically said, I am the provision. And so look on your outline. The provision, God's solution for our need is not by works, but by grace. Now, in Ephesians 2.8, it talks about the whole idea. Uh, And if you really put it in the context of eternity, it's the whole idea that none of us will stand before God and boast about what we did. None of us will. It's not impossible for us to, 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 to come to him on those terms. The way we come to Christ, listen, is through the provision of Jesus Christ and the fact that his grace was shed for us. His blood was shed, but he extended his grace to us. And so therefore, what we find here is not by works, it's by grace. Number three, the, uh, God's solution for our need is not initiated by us, but by God. Did you know you, if you really get down to it, you were not capable of coming to God on your own. Now, some of you may be sitting here today, and maybe you're kind of new to the Christian faith, and maybe you didn't realize this. Maybe all of a sudden, maybe you thought to yourself, no, I made a decision to follow Christ. Give me some credit. <laughs> I'll give you that credit because you did. But guess, guess who revealed your need? According to Scripture, the Holy Spirit revealed your need. It was the Holy Spirit that was bringing you to that point. Now, you can argue with me all you want to, but the Bible clearly says that you, you, would, you would continue to live your life with no purpose and no meaning except for the fact that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, came to you and made you aware of your need. Thirdly, God's solution for our need is not an afterthought with God. It is His eternal plan. Now, think about that. Think about the implications of that. Wow. I want to show you a verse that might blow your mind. Look here. 2 Timothy 1.9. Look here on the screen. God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. That, that's our purpose. That's our meaning. Not according to our works. Wasn't through that. But according to his own purpose and grace. Which was given to us in Christ Jesus 
And this is what will blow your mind. Before what? Time began. You mean before there was a creation? On the, uh, you mean way back there when there was just eternity, before time started, salvation was extended to me? You mean he thought of me back then? Based on the authority of Scripture and what you read right here? Exactly. That's the reason the good southern gospel quartets are so famous. Because they're always talking about way back yonder. <laughs> and looking forward to what's to come. It's that whole idea. And so what you have here is the fact that our salvation, that provision, it's not an afterthought with God. It was his eternal plan. Now, now think about that in the context of your life. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, before time began, before creation started, you were thought of. You're not an afterthought. That means there was purpose. There was meaning that's given to your life. Next, our salvation or the whole idea of the provision, God's solution for our need is our admission of the need of forgiveness. For this to become a reality in our life, for his provision to mean anything to us, we got to realize that we need forgiveness. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us add up. None of us. We couldn't do it on our own. We, we, we wouldn't even be aware of God unless God revealed himself to us. And so it's that whole idea that we, there comes a point when the Holy Spirit engages our life in which we admit, you know something, I'm a sinner, I'm in need of forgiveness. There's something wrong here. It comes by way of his provision. Number two, or secondly in this list, God's solution for our need is our repentance from our sin. Now I want you to think of this. Most of the time when we think of repentance, I don't know about you, but most people aren't really excited about it. Really. I mean, think about it. You hear the preacher on the street corner. Repent and be converted. I mean, serious. I mean, you get up there and you, it's like, repent. Oh, don't, don't tell me about repentance. I don't want to hear about that. What is repentance? Well, it's turning away from your sin and turning to God on his terms. We don't necessarily want to give up. What's well, back here all the time? But did you know that in Acts 3.19, it puts repentance in a whole new light? Look at it here on the screen. Repent, therefore. Now, when he says, therefore, it's always referring to something in the previously he's talked about. In Romans uh, 1, 2, and 3, if you go to Romans 1, 2, and 3, you're going to see a whole section of Paul convincing you that you're a sinner. And you'll read that, and you'll come away, and this will be your number one thought. Wow, I am a sinner. And then all of a sudden you look and, and you hear you begin to understand the implications and what God desires for us. And there's so much more than living in that sin. He wants to translate us over into a new life and transform us. And here's what Paul says. Repent, therefore, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. You ever got, have you ever come to a point in your life where you're sick and tired of shame and guilt? You're sick and tired of the bondage that sin has, 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 has put you in. And all of a sudden, you come to that point where you mean to tell me, okay, there's repentance. There's a, God, there's a whole idea that God wants to convert me. He wants to transform me. And then it says this, so that times of refreshing may come. Refreshing. How many of you, when you got bad breath, you just put the gum in there and it just feels refreshed? How many of you, you know, Irish Spring, you remember those commercials? You just soap up your body and all of a sudden, oh, that's fresh. Can you imagine your soul feeling like that? 
Can you imagine the freshness of being delivered from that sin, the the filthiness of that sin, and realize that the provision that Jesus Christ made on my behalf, if I'll just simply come on his terms and I turn from the nastiness and the, the dirtiness of that sin and I'll turn to him, I can be cleansed, I can be clean, I can be refreshed. That's exactly what he offers. But you know what? Repentance. Oh. I don't want to hear about that. Oh, I don't want to. repentance. That's, that's so strong. It's, just, it's going to totally change my life. You bet it will. For the good. For the good. And then he says, it may come. Where's it going to come from? It's not going to come from a bar of soap or a stick of chewing gum. Guess where it comes from? It says, from the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. Here's another one. Uh, God's solution for our need is our faith in Jesus Christ, that he died for our sin, rose from the grave to give us victory over sin. And we see that in Romans 10, 9 through 13. Here's the footnote. Here's kind of the bottom line. Let's put it on the bottom shelf. Once we receive salvation through Jesus Christ, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit who gives us gifts to serve God as he places us into a local church family. That's what he's going to do. He's going to place us. So our salvation through Christ, listen, brings us together and unites us. So not only, listen, Not only does he save us, he's going to take us from that place of being saved, and this is what the Bible says, and he's going to place us into his church, into the local church, okay? So, what about that church? Well, look on your outline. This is our story. Uh, Many of you may not know the story here. We have a historical wall back there, and there's some of the... the, uh, uh, the things that you can find back there about this, the history of this church. But the work here began in 1949. 1949. I want you to look at the picture here on the screen. Now, I know it's a little grainy there. We probably need to do a better picture with the better job with the picture, but that's a tent. It was up there on the corner up there. Okay, that's where it began, 1949. They had what was called a tent revival for this community. Okay, 1949. As soon as that was over, all of a sudden, they had VBS. They had Vacation Bible School, and they ministered to the kids in this community. Well, guess what? From those events, from those things, something began to stir right here on this highway. So, from the book that details the history of Putnam, the lady who wrote it was actually in our last service. From the history of Putnam, we find a quote describing the birth of our church. Listen to this. It says this. The Holy Spirit of God was at work among these. And as they continued to talk, their interest grew. Now think about that phrase, their interest grew. It's a very interesting phrase. Words like anticipation, excitement, and expectancy come to mind when you think of that phrase. We benefit, think of this, y'all. We benefit today from this move of the Holy Spirit that began with these individuals back in 1949. They started the work. But you know what we had the privilege to do? We had the privilege to build on it. And, and you see that over the years. And so back, <clears throat> back in 1949, we come fast forward to the 50th anniversary. The work was challenged to continue in October of 1999. I preached a message. I was six months into the pastorate at that point. Six months into it, and I preached a message found in the book of Joshua. I pretty much taught Joshua, okay? And what was interesting about it is I challenged our church in four areas. And look on your outline. Here was the first. Remember the sacrifice behind us. Y'all, we got to remember The pastors, the laity, the deacons, all those who gave to to support this ministry. I mean, it goes way back, 
Way back. And at that time, it was the 50-year anniversary, and I was challenging them to do that. God told the Israelites basically to do the same thing. I want you to remember those days. Remember back. But then I, I challenged them to resist the complacency among us. Did you know that the more victories a, 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 a person can have or a church can have or any organization can have, the more victories they have, the more prone they are to become complacent. Did you know there's a lot of churches in this county, a lot of churches in this state that have become complacent? But it doesn't mean that they didn't do anything. They probably had great histories. At one time, they were, they were just knocking the doors off. They were doing great work in the community and everything. But somewhere along the line, they became complacent. They were what we would call today a maintenance church. And they're just kind of taking care of what's there. But y'all, there's so much more. There's so much more. Now, keep in mind, experiencing the reality of the vision comes at a cost. Think about the Israelites. They're there. Moses has just died. Joshua, you're the man to lead the people. He begins to lead the people. They go into the promised land. And by the way, they, they had struggles even getting into the promised land. But they go into the promised land. Here's what had to happen. Giants had to be defeated. Walls had to come down. And mindsets had to be changed. That was the way they were going to overcome their complacency. Now, Joshua 13, halfway into the book, it reads this. They had victory. They had victory. Walls came down. Giants were, were overcome. Uh, mindsets were changed. And then in verse 13, chapter 13, it says, but there was still much more land to possess. There was still more that God wanted from them, that God wanted to give them victory in. But you know what slowly started to happen? They had victory after victory after victory. And the more they moved towards victory, the more complacent they became. To the point that they didn't finish the job. They didn't finish the job. Now what cost them? By not finishing the job, what cost them? All the way to present day, they're still paying for the job they didn't finish. You look at all the unrest in the Middle East, and especially around Israel and all that. They didn't finish the job. Never did they finish the job. And so what happened was they became complacent. Now, it would be easy, as I said, to rest on our past victories, but there are still enemies left to conquer, walls to come down, and work to be done. That's what I challenged them with 18 years ago. And God's done a great work. But guess what? We're, we're, we've had a lot of victories in 18 years. We can still become complacent. I'm not, let me, can I tell you this? I'm not interested, interested in pastoring a maintenance church. I believe we've been called to continue to reach until he comes back. It, we can never enter into that role. So thirdly, I had them to look to release the fears within them. To release the fears within them or within us. In chapter 1, four times, now here, get the picture. Moses has just died. Now, would you, how many of you would say that Moses would be some pretty difficult shoes to fill? Moses is dead. Joshua, this is God, you're the man. You're going to take it from here. Do what? <laughs> four times, four times in Joshua chapter 1, God had to reassure Joshua that you need to be strong and you need to be courageous. And you need to release your fears for faith. And, and here's what he told him to do. He said, you, you listen, listen. Verse 6 of chapter 1, he says, I need you to trust my promises. I need you to trust my word. I need you to trust my direction. I need you to trust my protection. 
Did you know he's offering us that same thing as individuals and as a church? That if we're going to do something great for God and we're going to be a part of something greater than ourselves and we're going to go out and do the work to slay the giants, to bring the walls down, to do all that he's called us to do, that we're going to have to release our fears? Can I tell you one of the scariest things we deal with is change? Change. This, this church family, blessed our heart for the last 18 years. It's been change after change after change. And I'll be honest with you, and most of the people that have probably struggled the most, and, but man, they've done it with such dignity and grace, has been the people in the, in the 930 service. And I'm just going to tell you, the reason we're where we are today, and the reason we have a future, and the reason we can even think out there is because they were willing to release those fears because of, their, because, because of the change brought. Can I tell you something? I'm beginning to understand what they're going through. I'm getting older. Did you know as I get older, the more change frightens me? It really does. You can ask my children and my grandchildren picking up. Oh, I'll tell you one thing. This world you're going to be raised in is going to be different than the world I was raised in. I'll tell you one thing. It's just, I don't That's all speaking out of fear. Where in the world is this nation headed? Good Lord, just speaking out of fear. What's the church going to look like? Will we even exist? Come on. Will we even have an impact? Speaking out of fear. We're not called to operate out of fear. We're called to operate out of faith. It's a big difference in the two. Do you remember the spies? Before they went into the promised land... They sent 12 spies in. You find the story in Numbers chapter 14. And so Moses said, okay, I'm going to send the spies in. 12 of them go in to size up what's there. They come back. 10 of them said, ain't no way. We can't do it. I know that's a double negative. English teachers, sorry. Don't send me an email on it. I know it, okay? Are you aware that you grammatically did not? Yes, Okay. So, so anyway, <laughs> used to be I didn't wear a tie. They wanted to send me a note and tell me that. Now it's more of, are you aware? No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. You, you're helping me. You're helping me. I understand. I understand. But, but anyway, oh, yeah, the spies. Twelve, Twelve spies go in. Ten spies come away. They basically, there's no way this can happen. We cannot do this. What was motivating them? Their fears. But there were two. Remember who they were? Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb said, we can do this. Oh, man, that's nothing for God. We can handle it. God, man, let me tell you, we'll see wonders if we go after this. You know what they were speaking from? From their faith. From their faith. And all of a sudden, you know what happened? I'd like to tell you that they listened to Joshua and Caleb, but they didn't. The reason they didn't operate, in, what cost them by not operating faith is because they operated in their fear. Guess what they did in, in the wilderness? They lived there in their 38 and a half years. That'll bless your heart, won't it? Because they, were, they refused to operate out of faith. And so let me say this. Fear kept them from accomplishing the vision that God had for them. Change creates much fear, but we're called to operate out of faith. Next. 
We are to respond to the vision before us. I challenged that 50 years, I mean, 18 years ago at our 50th anniversary. And that's what the challenge is for us today. It's not one of them things where we can say, look at what we did. There's still more to do. Well, our journey, listen, take us as a church family further. Hopefully, we will not follow the journey of the Israelites. And I want you to think about what happened. You have the book of Judges. Many people say that is a book of victory. And it was to a certain extent. But then you have the book of Judges that follows it. A very dark time, a, a, a time of defeat. And all of a sudden, the nation of Israel finds themselves in the midst of great victory. They begin to grow complacent. Their fears started coming back. And then they plunge themselves into defeat. Into defeat. Now, how do you keep from following the path of the Israelites? Let me tell you what happened to them. Thirteen times they went in circles. Thirteen times. You read it. You'll find it. You do a great study, of, of, of uh, a careful study of judges. You're going to find it. Thirteen times they repeated the same mistakes over and over again. Never got out of the loop. Never have had victory even up to this day. And all of it came because they became complacent. They let their fears restrict them. And they didn't respond to what God was calling them to. God was saying there's more land to conquer. There's more giants to fall. There's more work to be done. Now let me tell you what's happened to us over the 18 years. From that special service in 1999 to the present. Putnam has witnessed God's answer to the vision. Uh, by seeing our attendance triple and our budget numbers triple. But let me tell you what he's done. This will blow your mind. When I did research, I couldn't believe what God had done. Listen to this. In the last 18 years, over $15 million have come through our church budget. $15 million. Now, let me just say this. I don't know who gives what around here. But there's one thing I do know. We don't have deep pockets here at this church. We don't. If you are one, let me know. I'd love to talk. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have that. That's not at our disposal. This is just simple people simply being obedient to what God's called them to be and do. And so $15 million, this is what I'm so proud of. Of that $15 million and the others that have been given, over $3.3 million have gone to missions. That's what it's all about. And this morning, we baptized our 511th person in the last 18 years. Now, some of you would say, yeah, let's give the Lord a hand clap. That's great. That's what, what's what it's called to do. But there's still more to do. There's still more to do. Our statements, there's something about our statements. I want to move on. i got to hurry with this one. Our statements, what we believe and how we exist. First of all, the whole idea of our doctrinal beliefs. Did you know that our church does have doctrinal beliefs? You can read them on the website or you can pick up the sheet back there at iDesk. But here's what you need to understand about our doctrine. We are very conservative in our views of Scripture. Let me tell you how conservative we are. We believe in the inspiration, the infallibility, and the authority of God's Word. Okay? Inspiration. We believe God's Word is His revelation, His revealing to us. Infallible. We can trust it to build our lives upon. Authoritative. It's a whole idea that it's the authority that we live our lives by. That's how it will always be preached from here, at least as long as I'm here. But anyway, that's, that's the way it's got to be presented. That's what brings life change, and that's what we believe. Second of all, our back there, we have our states. We have our cultural values. It's what we're studying right now. We're in our fourth one. There's, 11, there's a total of 11, so we'll be through by the end of the year. But no, no, it'll be a lot sooner than that. But, but, but all that's back there. 
next, our strategy. How do we fulfill our purpose? Now, this is not, this is, I found this. This is a great quote. We believe a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow our church and allow us to impact the world for his glory. Can I show you what it's talking about? Here's the great commandment. Here's what it says. Jesus said this in Matthew. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's your whole being. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's that's a great commandment. The great commission is this. Jesus said this. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching him to obey everything I've commanded you. That's our mandate. We're to love each other. We're to love God with every every fiber of our being. But it's got to translate in fulfilling the mandate that he's placed on us as individuals and also as a church. Next, our strategy. How do we fulfill this? Here's our attempts. Our attempts to seek God's direction in prayer before pursuing any direction of ministry. Let me, let me tell you one thing that happened before 1999 in that service of October of 18, 1999. Here's what happened. We had 40 days of prayer and fasting. We did. We were pretty certain that God was calling us to the vision he was calling us to. There were some facility needs that we had. There was our strategy and how we were going to go about going at it and all that. All that was coming together. But we wanted, Lord, we, we need you to affirm this. Is this really where you're leading? And we wanted to pray over it. So, so we had uh, individuals sign up for a day. Some people signed up for as many as five days to pray and fast about what God would do in our midst and how he would lead us. And I'm here to tell you that the reason we saw the, what we, I just explained to you has happened around here is because it was bathed and born out of prayer. It's bathed and born out of prayer. Next, to use the Bible, not tradition, as the primary source of inspiration and direction. Listen, some traditions are good. Some traditions can be very healthy, but they can also be limiting. <laughs> they can also force us into a, a mindset of complacency We've, all, we've got to constantly be following the Lord. Listen, when we get to the point where we're allowing tradition to dictate what we're doing, we are, we'll be no better than the Pharisees. And that's what Jesus condemned. We'll be better than, no better than some of the denominations that are caving when it comes to the word of God. They've grown complacent. They've become fearful of what the world would think of them if they just taught Jesus' or God's word. Next, to focus on reaching and equipping people. Next, to reach out to all people and not a certain, uh, certain group. Let me just say this. One, one of my heart's desires, and I've talked to our staff about this, is for our church gatherings to look like heaven. That people of all races, all nationalities, would be comfortable enough to come And gather around with us as we worship and we serve and we go out for the Lord and build his kingdom. That's my heart. That's the heart of, I think, of all the leadership I've had one-on-one conversation with. That is our heart. But somehow we got to put feet to what we're doing. We're not marketing ourselves as a church to a certain generation. You can't do that. That's not, I, I don't think that's the Bible's way. The Bible says that the older teach the younger. It's a generational thing. We've all got to come together in this thing. Here's another one. To see every member of the church family actively involved in ministry through using their spiritual gifts. Y'all, that's, that's important. 
That's, being, that's becoming a partner. There's one thing to be a member. It's another thing to be a partner. And I'm here to tell you, we've got some things back there that can help you. What is my spiritual gift? This can help you discover your spiritual gifts. It's back there on Nidesh. You can pick it up. Okay. Here's another one. Reaching the world through ministry. This is all the job descriptions we have in our church. And maybe you have something that our church is not considering. We'd love to hear it. See what God's leading in that. I know several people have done that. And we've got tremendous ministries because laymen have stepped up and said, Hey, we believe God's calling us to do this. And so we want to challenge you with that. But we want every member to be involved in using their spiritual gifts. Next, to offer a blended style of worship with the ultimate hope that everyone would experience the presence of God. Can I tell you what's dividing churches more than anything today? And it's ironic, isn't it, that it's the worship. Isn't that amazing? Dividing churches, literally tearing them apart. Tearing them apart. Who's worshiped who? Him. And somehow we've got to get to the point where the focus is not on us, but on him. And listen, I know we all have our favorite styles. You may be surprised to know that I like going with the senior adults to their annual trip. I like quartet music. I know I'll never be seen in a certain light again. Y'all thought I was cool, I guess, but anyway. I do, I love it. I'm sitting there. I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's just fun. I love to see the quartet members stump each, each, each other's ear and pick on each other. No, I'm just kidding. I actually turn off there. But anyway, um, listen, I like all music. I like 106.9. I like the Hill song. I like it all because I believe it honors God. And we've got to somehow realize that we as a church, we, but we also got to keep this in focus that we're not targeting, targeting ourselves towards a certain age group. And if it means we need to be a little blended at times, it's worth it. Because we believe all generations need to make up the local church. And so I hope you'll pray with us as we continue moving. Here it is, our desire. Here's our desire. Our desire in our intimacy that through prayer and worship to the Father... In our love, through encouraging and ministering to one another. In our serving, through our spiritual gifts. In our compassion, through sharing God's salvation to the world. In our giving, through obedience, to continue to build the kingdom. You notice how quick I went through that? All right, let's keep moving. Our strategy, our vision. I got five minutes. I'll get there. Watch. See, watch it happen. You may not understand me, but it's going to happen. All right. Here's our vision. Love God. We are challenged. I want you to read this with me, not out loud, but to yourself. We are challenged to faithfully attend a worship gathering where God's word is preached and where we demonstrate our love for God, that's through our worship, and display that love through our obedience in responding to his word. It is through this step that we are, that we are challenged to commit to be a part of a local church family. Next, connect with, you better get this right, others. All right, did you cheat? Okay, all right. The second step in this process is to get connected with a small group Bible study. That's a connect group. In these groups, we grow in relationships with other believers and grow in our understanding of God's word. Thirdly, we're going to reach the world. The final step in our process is to challenge those in connect groups to be involved in some aspect of ministry here at Putnam and in some aspect of mission, either in our community or around and or around the world. Here's the footnote. We believe... That when people get committed to this vision, 
They open themselves up to God to do amazing work in their lives. Let me just tell you this. God used this local church to transform my marriage. He did. To transform my family. We were believers, but we didn't really know what it needed to look like. And God surrounded me and my family with good, loving people that didn't condemn us for getting it wrong. Of course, we hid most of it. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But to openly share their lives with us and invest in us. So, that's the amazing work that's been done in our lives. In the process of living their lives in the midst of the body of Christ, that he will draw them into oneness with himself and oneness with others. Y'all, this is life change. This is how God's going to bring about life change. Our structure, our interrelation. Putnam is a fellowship. The top priority is a, in a fellowship is harmony and unity. Let me tell you one thing about this church. Occasionally, we'll put something on the table. It needs to be discussed. It needs to be talked about. It can kind of hit people a little wrong sometimes. I'll be honest with you. But you know something? All said and done, this, this church is pretty much in one accord. I may be blind, but I think I'm seeing that. <laughs> And I praise God for it. Next, Putnam is a family. So we operate on the basis of relationship and care for one another. Next, Putnam is a body. We function through our spiritual gifts. And then lastly, Putnam is a flock. We are cared for and led by shepherds. And of course, that would be pastors. Next, our our structure, our affiliation. I hope this does not offend you. But we are a Southern Baptist Church. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Let, let me show you some things here. Our affiliation, first of all, the Greater Cleveland County Baptist Association. It's, it's really, I think it's over 80 churches that fellowship together and work together to reach Cleveland County. That's local missions. We identify or associate, affiliated with the North Carolina Baptist Convention. Over 3,000 churches that fellowship together with the goal of evangelizing our state. That's state missions. And then, of course, the Southern Baptist Convention. Over 40,000 churches that cooperate together in a far in a worldwide effort of missions and of course there's foreign missions north american missions and then of course uh, this work supports the seminaries the training of future leaders uh, in, in our denomination now here's some things you may not know about southern baptists why not just be an independent church well we are independent church let me tell you what i mean by that every sbc church is completely independent There is no denominational control of hierarchy as there are in many other denominations. Each church is self-governed and determines its own affairs. For example, every SBC church chooses its own pastors. uh, it, it, It owns its own buildings and assets. And it determines its own direction for ministry. Here's here's the only here's the only thing we do. We just agree to cooperate to do missions together. That's really the bottom line of it all. And they throw out ideas about special days we can observe and that kind of thing. But we don't have to do those, okay? And so it really is an independent work. We just agreed to do missions together. We also support other missions, uh, ministries and missions. Nepal missions, African missions. uh, That's the Carpenters. uh, Putnam mission, sending. We have a sending fund. We we bring in money to help send our own people out. Uh, We have Putnam mission projects. Any designated offering that you have to projects, 10% of it goes to to mission work projects. It's very important, we feel. Child Evangelism Fellowship, Christine's Home, Community Crisis Mission, Pregnancy Resource, the Gideon Internationals, 
uh, International. That's uh, a distri distribution of Bibles throughout the world. One Lovescape Ministry. Other ministries supported by individuals. Uh, Kali Luckadu in Guatemala. We have individuals that support her at this time. Uh, there's individuals who've been to Nepal who also support works other than what we church, our church does to Nepal. All kinds of things. I, I'm probably leaving others out. But here's the footnote. The structure of the church should not be determined by the culture, business practices, or even denominational mandates and or traditions. I'm convinced of that. Here's why I'm convinced of that. Because every church is different. Every church has its own DNA. There is no other church in the world like Putnam. You know why? Because you're in this place. And there's no one, unlike you, uh, no one like you. And so we make up something that's not out there. All of the gifting and everything that God has for us. Now, here's the application. The difference between attenders and members can be summed up in one word, commitment. At Putnam, listen to this. We never ask our members to do more than the Bible clearly teaches. We expect our members to do what the Bible expects every Christian to do. These responsibilities are spelled out in, a, in a, like a membership covenant. And this is something you need to keep in mind if you're joining our church. This is kind of an expectation. Here it is. I will protect the unity of my church. I don't have time to go through all these scriptures, but I hope you'll take the time. How am I going to do that? By acting in love toward other members. By refusing to gossip. And I'm sure no one's ever done that here. Uh, by following the church leadership. Y'all, I, listen, I think God, I know this. I was talking to a younger pastor the other day. and Do you know God's going to hold us accountable to how we led his church? Oh, man, that's tough to even say. But he's called us to do that. We're the shepherds. We're here to care for you. We're here to, to lead that's what God's called us to do. We'll be held to that. Here it is. I will, number two, I will share the responsibility of my church by praying for its spiritual growth, by inviting the unchurched to attend, by warmly welcoming those who visit. Listen, if we really think of ourselves as a family, when people come in that we don't recognize, we're to be hospitable. You need to go search them out. When we do meet and greet, we didn't have time today because I'm taking all the time. But, but when we do that, listen, you, it's good to welcome your friends. But find someone you don't know. Introduce yourself. Listen, I introduced myself to someone the other day and thought they were new. No, joined here three years ago. <laughs> if I can embarrass myself like that, you sure, sure can do it. <laughs> Number three, I will serve the ministry of my church by discovering my gifts and talents, by being equipped to serve, by developing a servant's heart. Number four, I will support the testimony of my church by attending faithfully, by living a godly life, by giving obediently and generous, generously. And then here's the, here's, here's the conclusion. God desires that his children belong to a local, biblically-oriented church. Putnam accepts members who have trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior by believing who he says he is, repenting of their sins, and coming by faith into a relationship with him. We also encourage and require prospective members to attend a Discover Putnam class offered monthly but has been offered today. You have just sat through a Discover Putnam class. So guess what? There's nothing keeping you from joining. You, matter of fact, we had people join last service. One couple came forward and they said, we want to join. I'm like, are you kidding me? They've been here eight years. They've been serving. They've been serving here. I'm, 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 anyway, 
It's beautiful. It was beautiful. Prospective members are received by baptism, by transfer of membership from previous church, by statement of faith. Some of you may look at that and say, I don't know which one I am. We'll help you with that. We'll tell you. We'll, we'll help you with it. But here's, here's the deal. You got to know Jesus. And by the way, if you don't know Jesus, your greatest need is not to join the church today. Your greatest need is to come to know him. Greatest need. But second of all, you need to belong to a church family. If this is not the one for you, go find it. Plug in. Get involved. But you need to be a part of the family, a local family, that, that Christ can develop you and you can become all he desires you to be. I'm going to ask you to stand at this time with you. Father, we just come to you now. We just thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. And Lord, as we extend this invitation, Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know you today, Lord, as their Lord and Savior. And maybe